0: challenge this morning. that is some needy stuff in there, Lord. And we just want to ask for your strength so that we can trust and obey Lord. I'll be with the Jonathan now as he brings uh, opens the word uh, for us and may give us insight and wisdom how to serve you more. we ask these things. Amen. Please receive it. So, we've been in our sermon series, The Story of Redemption, where we've been tracking through the Bible and the different time periods that uh, are captured there and the different stories, uh, really just following along this idea that the story of redemption is not God's plan B, that it's woven throughout all of history, uh, and in every single story you can see the same sort of seeds and elements of that being woven out, and when I was last with you, uh, I, we did a very practical exercise to show you how a lot of the stories sort of sync up, uh, and if you know what to look out for, you can, can really tell that these stories are all interwoven and interconnected, and so today what we're going to look at Is a a period of time that's about to begin called the divided monarchy. Now, uh, the United Kingdom was when you had uh, both Israel and Judah under one banner, and everyone was happy and getting along. And then that fractures and ends after Solomon here dies. We're going to look a little bit at Solomon's life just to see why this happened. So, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 10, that's where we're going to read us, our subject text uh, for the day. Um, so I uh, invite you to, to turn there And before we begin, I want to ask you a question: Do you ever feel in your life that the will of God is unclear? Not like you don't know He exists or anything like that. Like you've seen that—you know those moments when you sit there and you're like, "Lord, I just—I don't know what You want me to do. I don't know the direction for my life." I don't know the ministry that you want me in. I don't know if this relationship is the right one. I don't know if this job is the right one. Have you ever been in those moments when the will of God is unclear? Second question, and there's a difference. Have you ever been in a situation where the expectation of your behavior from God is unclear? Where God says to you, I want you to act a certain way. I want you to behave a certain way. Has that ever been unclear? See, this is what I find interesting. I don't think it is. I I think that the way God wants us to act is always found in Scripture. We might not know the will of God. We might not know where this is all going, but I I honestly believe that the way that we act is dictated by Scripture. We're going to get to that in a minute, uh, in this sermon uh, on this divided kingdom. So to sort of uh, catch us up, the people of Israel have settled in the promised land. Uh, after Saul was made king, we looked at that last uh, couple weeks ago that Saul had been anointed. You know, he was a head taller than everyone else. Good-looking guy, the kind of guy that you would find on TV. You know, like, good-looking guy. Uh, everyone was really impressed with his outward attributes. No one really looked at his character. So the people said, oh yeah, he's a good king. And God said, oh man, this is going to be fun. And then after a couple of years, Saul actually turned out to be quite past the cuckoo's nest. Like, he's a little bit crazy. And so uh, so they needed a new king. And then uh, a prophet came to David and anointed David. David was a short, sort of skinny, runny-looking fellow, uh, ruddy of complexion, probably had pimples and breakouts. He was no one's idea of a good-looking guy. And God said, kill him because his heart is in the right place. And We remember this from a couple of weeks ago. So we got to that point and then David uh, did some amazing things in the name of God here. He defeated the Philistines, he conquered sort of the surrounding areas and brought would uh, little be of Peace and stability to the area. Uh, but like every major character in the Bible, uh, by the time he got everything that God had promised him, by the way, blessings, he thought he to do it without God. And so he started wandering off in his own direction. Uh, and things went bad. And eventually, he's on his deathbed. He has a couple of sons. His oldest son uh, decides that he's going to be king when, when his father dies. So he gets together with the heads of the army or the wise men, throws a giant party, uh, and in the meantime, Solomon goes, wait, you said David that I would be king. So Solomon and his mother, again, there's a story about intervening mothers. There's a lesson here, I think, yeah. about never underestimate the power of a mother who has the best interests of a child at heart and <laughs> wants to see that child succeed. So never underestimate it. Because just in this short sermon series, we've already seen this twice, how mothers have gone in and changed the entire fate of the people of Israel. So mothers don't underestimate him. But Solomon's mother goes it to David and goes, but you promised Solomon would be king. And David's on his deathbed goes, oh yeah, right. Okay, Solomon could be king. And so it started this sort of fracture in the, the way that Israel is dealing with things. And so uh, Solomon is made king of the United Kingdom. Suddenly he actually had his brother killed. I'm not saying that's the way to deal with family conflict, but it worked for, for Solomon. And so Solomon is made king over the entire kingdom, and he, God comes before him, and perhaps one of the most famous stories of Solomon's life, so famous that it was parodied uh, in uh, Seinfeld, um, the, the television show, where uh, Solomon uh, gets granted wisdom from God, and two uh, two ladies come before him, they live in the same house, they both had children at the exact same time, and one of them died in their sleep, and the second one came in and switched out the sleeping children so that the other one would think that their child had died. So they came before the king, and everyone was standing around waiting to see what Solomon would do, and Solomon said, well, it's quite simple, chop the baby in half, which I think is a a fairly smart solution, you know? And the woman whose baby had died and had no skin in the game said, "Sure, fine." Because the woman whose child it was threw herself down at Solomon's feet and said, "No, no, no! Give the baby to her. I would rather see this baby grow up uh, with someone else, not me, than have uh, the child killed." But so Solomon said, "You are the truly mother," and everyone reveled in his wisdom, and he became known as Solomon the Wise. And in fact, Solomon to this day has this uh, this. This, uh, historic sort of uh, known that he is the wisest person apart from Jesus to ever walked the earth. He is the great uh, wisest person that we've ever seen. and So with all of this sort of backstory of how wise he is and he's making his right decisions, uh, a couple of chapters ago he built the temple of the Lord and then he built his he own palaces, room. he had them consecrated um, mm-hmm. and so in Chapter Nine, I don't have this on the screen, but if you can look back to Chapter Nine, uh, verse one, there's a little bit of scripture that I read to Really set up where we need to go. It. it says this: so this is First Kings, Chapter Nine, verse one. As soon as Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that Solomon desired to build, the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time. The first time was when he granted him wisdom. He appeared to Solomon a second time as he had appeared to him at Ebon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your plea, which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house that you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as to you, if you will walk before me as David your father walked, with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you, and keeping my statutes and my rules, And I will establish your throne over Israel forever, as I promised David, your father, saying you shall not like a man on the throne of Israel. But if you turn aside from following me, or your children do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I have set before you. But go and serve other gods and worship them. Then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them and the house that I have consecrated for my name. I will cast out my sight. And Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all people. And this will be <clears throat> sorry. And this house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone passing by will be astonished and will hiss, and they will say, "Why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house?" Then I will say, "Because they abandoned the Lord their God who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt, and they called on other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore, the Lord." has brought disaster, all this disaster on land. That seems pretty clear, right? God comes in and says, look, Solomon, I've given you everything you wanted. you wanted wisdom, I granted you wisdom. And because of that, you were able to make bank. You were able to, to trade with all these other companies, uh, cu- countries. You were able to make peace treaties. You were able to, to build uh, my temple that took you seven years. And then you were able to build your own house, which took 14 years, let's not talk about that. Um, It took twice as long build his own personal palace and the palace of God. I'm just saying, that's a little weird. But God comes and says, I've given you all these things, if you just follow my words, if you just do as I tell you to do, you follow everything that I have very clearly laid out, then everything is going to go well for you, it's going to go well for your house, your kingdom, your heirs, everything is going to be fine. And he says, if you don't, there are going to and so, what we're going to look at today is sort of uh, three three things. We're going to look at expectation, disobedience, and then consequences. Right. So, if you're a five a personality, you like to write things down, Tina. So we'll write those down. <laughs> expectation, disobedience, and consequences. Because it doesn't matter if you're reading this story or any of the stories in the. Testament, or even some of them in the New Testament. Those three things are going to be common in almost every story in Scripture. God comes in and gives pretty clear expectations on the eighth The mankind, in some way or another, becomes disobedient and then there are consequences for those actions. And so we see here in uh, chapter 10 verse 1 that the Queen of Sheba heard the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord and she came to test him with questions. He had Become famous throughout all of the known world. There was a person probably alive that hadn't heard of the fame of Solomon. Um, Solomon is found in other uh, com- uh, comparative historical and religious texts. His name is found as a wise man. Um, I've been sick, so I might hear things. It's fine. We'll just we go. And so, so, for a king, there were certain expectations as to how that king over Israel was supposed to behave. Now, um, maybe you guys aren't as up in your uh, Deuteronomy uh, text as uh, maybe I am, or uh, as Brian here. I know that when we were pressed Press One together, he loved Deuteronomy. He uh, would read it every day. Um, and we would go over it. Uh, but. There's very clear expectations for how God wanted not only the people of Israel to behave, uh, but, all, but also how he wanted uh, the king to behave. So uh, my first point is this. I believe that God always lays out how he expects us to behave. And so it might be uh, not specific to one very specific, tiny, Someone insults you. Do you insult them back or do you let it lie? You let it lie because it falls under that umbrella. So so then your specific situation might not be found in Scripture, but I can guarantee you the expectation of your behavior from God is somehow umbrellaed into Scripture. And if you can't find it, then you fall back when God wants me to love the other person. Because love covers everything. And so Uh, I believe that God lays out how he expects us to behave, and I also believe that God never expects more from us than he instructs of us. This is is the other thing. A lot of times people, they they say, I need to do this, I need to do that, I need to do X, Y, Z. Level of, of God instruction and, and it's simply not there and, and, and the problem with that is then we start to, to base the way we, we practice our religion the way that we practice our relationship with God, we start to, to build that out around things that God never instructed us to do or God never expects us to do and then when world comes crashing down we go to God and say, God, why did this fail? God said because we never said that I never said you had to start at exactly 11 a.m. every single day. That was your pastor, Captain Jonathan, and his, his <laughs> countdown clock. The wanted to start at 11 o'clock. Look, I will have to, the scriptures does say let there be order in worship. It says that. So right. not. Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> You're half <laughs> right. So God never expects you us and God always lays out how He expects us. Does that make sense? With there on that foundation, Amen. and so with that in mind, I want to uh, quote just a couple of verses here, keeping in mind what Solomon is. Right, Solomon is the king of Israel, and so Deuteronomy four verses one to two says this. Uh, and now Israel, listen to the statutes and rules that I am teaching you, and do not and do them that you may live and go and take possession of the land. Uh, that the God of your fathers has given to you. It seems pretty pretty clear, right? If, I, if you do what I tell you to do, you can take possession of this land. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Very simple. I'm going to give you these commands. Don't add to them. Don't take away from them. Just leave them as they are. or will be very simple as that. Deuteronomy 7 verses three to five you shall not intermarry with them and this is talking about foreigners, giving your daughters to their sons and taking their daughters for your sons for they will turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods and then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and he will destroy you quickly. but you shall thus shall you shall deal with them you shall break down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and chop down their Asherim and burn their carved images in fire. What God says to the children of Israel is, hey, you're going into a land that is filled, uh, surrounded by people who worship other gods, who are idolaters, who will uh, erect uh, shrines, who will, who will build up altars in higher places, who will uh, say to you, well, what's, you, you just do your religion, you let me practice my religion, and we'll just coexist really easily. And don't worry, we can all get along, and there's room enough in the country for both of them. But what God says is, is don't you trust that mindset, don't you trust that behavior, because eventually what they're going to do is lead your hearts astray, because it's always easier to worship a non-existent God with no rules or expectations than it is to worship a God that does have rules and expectations. If if I decide that I'm no longer going to worship the God of the Bible, and I decide I'm going to worship the God of Sodom, those rules and expectations are pretty clear. Whenever I feel like it, I can turn on a game and I can watch it. That's, that's, it's really easy to follow. There's no rules, there's no expectations. I don't need to gather together with other people and, and, and praise the glorious name of soccer or, or make sacrifices to the name of soccer. I certainly don't have to tie the portion of my income to soccer uh, because I can just get it right there as long as I play paper pop sports. It's going, be, it's going to be right there during the season. So. It's always easier to follow something that doesn't demand something back, it doesn't have expectations on you, and God knows something. So he sets very clear expectations on the children of Israel. He says, There's going to be a time, there's going to be a moment when you're going to think, what's the worst that could happen? What harm could there be if we just, just engage in this behavior? And so we sort of know how the story ends, is people started in uh, behaving and interacting with those who are practicing this idolatry. The, the book of Judges that we covered spelled out some of the horrific things that these people were practicing. In fact, if we were to, to move on a little bit here in Deuteronomy, uh, for some reason it did not seem on my, my, my tablet, so I don't have it, but if to continue, continue reading in Deuteronomy, it actually comes when you decide that you want to anoint a king to rule over you so you can be like every other king, I'm going to lay out certain statutes and rules the way that king is to behave. This is what God says to the children of Israel. God says, I know you're going to abandon you. One day you're going to get to the point where you're going to be like, well, everyone else has a king. Why can't I have one? You know, I'm not saying that Israel is a whiny teenager. <laughs> But I'm not saying they're not. Okay. When you look at their behavior, it's very much like a, you know, maybe even a preteen. Well, why can't I have a cell phone? So and so's family down the road—they have a cell phone. Why can't I have one? Well, because you don't need a cell phone. You're eight. Okay? Right, well, eight-year-olds don't need. Who are you going to call, Santa Claus? He doesn't <laughs> take calls. Right away. Okay. I'm saying is that the nation of Israel do this thing in scripture where uh, Moses went on the mountain. He was gone for 40 days. And while, because he was gone for 40 days, the children of Israel said, well, why can't we have a God like everyone else? Can you just make this one, Aaron? So Aaron took gold, and behold, the golden calf came out the fire magically. Sorry, I I get upset. We've had this discussion before. I get upset at Aaron. Moses I don't know what happened. I threw the gold into the fire. How about this golden calf?
1: What it says in
0: Scripture, I'm not making it up, but what we see from the children of Israel is this pattern of behavior that they get the blessings of God and then they look around at other people and they perceive the other people and what they're doing and think that's better for them than what God has given them. And they say, man, my life would be so much better if I could just have Let me me tell you something that's real. It's not just the children of Israel. It's every Christian. The amount of people will look at someone else's faith and say, man, my faith would be perfect. Only I could act like that, sing like that, worship like that, read scripture like that, memorize like that, tithe like that. My faith would be perfect. Officers, too, if if my appointment looked like that, I would be happy. And I say that because not only are the people from DHQ are here, but there's a whole lot of either retired or former officers in this room that know exactly what I'm talking about as well. How many times we hear that line from other people? You know, oh yeah, my appointment's wonderful, but if I could only just XYZ, then it would be perfect. No appointment will be perfect as long as you're there because you're not perfect. No church is going to be perfect because as long as people are in there. It's not going to be perfect. What it can be is God-honoring, God-glorifying, people-loving, building a family. It can be a community of believers that do white together, not just in the easy times, but in the hard times. So, guarantee, when you look at someone who looks like their faith on the outside is perfect, I guarantee they have walked through hell to get there, and God was walking with them and brought them through that so that their faith might be perfected. And you want the outcome without going through the requirements. You want the outcome without following the expectations. And so God put these expectations uh, on Israel. He said, your king needs to be an upright person. He needs to be a moral leader. He needs to, to uphold justice. He needs to uphold Righteousness. He needs to not marry foreign women. He needs to not allow idolaters into the kingdom of Israel. He needs to set Israel apart and keep her holy for my name so people can look at Israel as a beacon and say, Man, I want what they're having. And I tell you the truth, there is no different to what God expects of the church today. He looks at us and says, I want you to be different. I want you to be set apart. I don't want you to allow idolatry in amongst your ranks. I want people on the outside to look at you as a representation of Jesus and say, I want what they have in my life. The joy that they have, the sense of community that they have, the the sense of helping one another, to build one another up rather than carrying each other down, that they pray for each other's needs and they don't gossip about them. That they come together when they have to, and when they want to, and when they just celebrate and do life together. I want what they want.
1: I love the fact
0: that we have a group of women in this church that every week after homily they go out to lunch and just fellowship. Usually it's at Mexican. All right, ladies. If they go to Olive Garden, I go with them. I love these women. Don't you want to be a church? And I'm not talking big church of the world, small church denomination. I'm want to be a church. But when people look at us, they don't say, man,
1: what a bunch of people, what a bunch of losers, people, people, people,
0: people, people, people who don't know anything about the way we are coming Don't you want people instead to look at us and say, man, I'll have some of what they Because that was good. God sets out a set of behaviors They need to behave a certain way. And it gets us to this second point of disobedience. Ultimately, one of the sides of the rather, of human condition sin, is disobedience. I read to you from chapter 9. Deuteronomy said very specifically, and I didn't read this, I would be forever if I wanted to read every verse in Deuteronomy, but it said uh, three things really specifically about the King of Israel. That Israel, The King of Israel was not to uh, marry and have uh, a foreigner uh, in, the, in his household so it would corrupt his heart. It said that he was not to uh, build military forts and great places of military power, and that he was not to raise a great army and have a great military standing force. Those are really the three major requirements of the King of Israel. And what if you would continue to read chapter 9 through to chapter 10, what you would read is that uh, King Solomon then spent the rest of his time uh, marrying a whole bunch of women, including the daughter of Pharaoh, that he built up his navy and his army, and that he started building portraits and encampments on the surrounding areas to fortify the land. And if you were a regular... People, if you were a regular kingdom and country, that would be fine because that would be smart. So, you find yourself uh, make alliances with other countries because if you marry, they're not going to attack you. Just step part of the family and make your army big so no one's going to attack you, and, and make places of encamping fortresses so people are going to be scared of your of your strength. But the people of Israel, once you're alive on physical stuff. They're Solomon up here until chapter 10 starts this thing where he just starts continually building himself up and building himself up and making him great and trading money and getting money and getting things and getting wealth. Uh, and what we see in this pattern of scripture over and over again, from Adam and Eve to Noah to Abraham, almost every story has this pattern of disobedience where God would give a commandment, people would follow for a little bit, they would get the blessing of that commandment And that following and obedience, but then they would veer off in their own track, they would become disobedient, and then God would have to uh, let them suffer the consequences of their actions. It goes over and over and over and over again, and it gets to the point of consequence. And when I talk about consequence, I want to be perfectly clear that I believe God will always forgive a person of their sin if they ask. Any person at any time in their life any place, if they ask for forgiveness, God will forgive them. There is no statute of limitations on forgiveness. There is no sin that is so great that it can't be forgiven. Forgiveness is for everyone, by God, anytime. That's clear, right? That forgiveness does not expunge the consequence of that sin if you eat so much sugar that you become a diabetic, eventually you're going to have to start taking medication to have that diabetes. You can change your behavior after that, but if you don't reverse it in the first years, doctors tell us that then it's irreversible. And you then have to live with the consequences of your decisions and choices for the rest of your life. I could walk up to Brian and slap him
1: I could ask forgiveness
0: and I would be forgiven by God of that sin doesn't mean that I would not suffer the consequences of that action right Right. Brian would probably turn around and slap (laughs) me back and I feel this this is my great fear for the church we talk a lot about forgiveness of sin and it's and it's up there, and it's important, but a lot of times we don't talk about the consequences of sin, huh? Every sin is equally damning. Not every sin is equally damaging. Every sin can be forgiven, and every sin could send you to hell if you don't ask for forgiveness, but while we're in this life and living in human life, not every sin is going to do the same amount of damage to your soul, to your relationships, to your job and career, to expand it out. And, and so, there's an interesting story here, and, and this is what we're going to end with. I know it was the text that was read for us, so you expected the to find so just to be around this, but I'm not that interested in the Queen of Sheba. Until I was reading through, and I came to a certain line, and, and it's from the Queen of Sheba herself you can find this in, in verse six, and she said to the king, the report was true that I heard in my own land of your words, but I did not believe the report until I came with my own eyes and had seen them. And behold, the heart was not told to me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I heard. Happy are your men, happy are your servants who continually stand before you and give your wisdom. And, and here it is in verse 9. This is the thing that, that jumped out to me when I was reading this. Blessed be the Lord your King who is delighted in you. Sorry, the Lord your God who is delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel, because the Lord loved Israel forever, he has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. Words are fascinating to me. Did you notice that she said that God has made you king that you may uphold justice and righteousness? She didn't say God has made you king and you are upholding justice and righteousness. She says. God has made you think that you may do it. And if you know anything about the way that some of these Eastern cultures and the way that language means to them and the way that certain words have certain meanings, what you can extrapolate from what she doesn't say means a heck of a lot. She comes in and she sees his great wealth and the possessions that, he, that he's created for himself. She sees this Fortresses that he's laid up, she's seen his armies that he's built. He's seen this reputation that he's built for himself, and everything that he's acquired. And she knows that he is the king. Is regularly in the temple with the priests who go over the Deuteronomical law. So she knows that he knows the law, and she can see that. He Violating it on a daily basis. And she says to him, You have been made king, that you may uphold justice and righteousness. With the emphasis in what she doesn't say is that you ain't doing it. When we read further in the story, we see that God, in the next couple of chapters, comes to Solomon and says, You've messed up, big your father David, I'm not going to take the kingdom away from you, because I promised him that you would stand on the throne. But after you, your kingdom is going to split. It's going to be bloody, it's going to be violent, and it's never going to be the same again. Your people are going to be taken off into captivity, sold into slavery. Men, women, children are going to be killed. It's going to be awful, because you couldn't follow the simple premise to do what God tells you to do. And here's how I want to end up, so I know I'm going to end on this wonderful item. The slaughter of thousands, go forth and spread the word. I want you this. God expects you to behave way. When you don't, there are going to be consequences of your actions. It's not going to be as dramatic as an entire notion split. But man, sin can destroy a family. It can break apart even the closest of friends. It can destroy a work environment. if you don't know Jesus, the good news is you can be forgiven of any sin. If you already know Jesus and Jesus is your Savior, the good news is you can be forgiven of any sin. And Paul says, don't continue sinning that grace may down more. You need to talk about change behavior and change paths. But some of you have sin in your life but maybe you haven't confessed to Jesus yet. Maybe you think you can deal with it on your own. Maybe you think you're strong enough to but just with by pure force of the will, you can make it better. You can correct the ship. You the, the sailor on the ship, you can do everything. You can tighten the ribbings, steer the will, fatten down the hatches, you can do everything yourself. But that ship ain't going to turn. You need Jesus. You need Jesus on the wheel. You need the Holy Spirit in your life daily basis, on a minute basis if necessary. No, that's simple, don't do it. No, there's a better way. There's my way. Do it my way. And so just let's bow our heads and pray together. Just take a couple of moments. Don't try and fix it yourself. There's no point. Solomon He also wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. He wrote it when he was old and dying, and he opened the book by saying, "Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless." After he'd lived his life, he realized that the sinful behaviors that he chased were nothing compared to the glory of the Those sins and finds strength, redemption, grace, and forgiveness in their arms. I pray, Lord God, keep you with each one of us as we go from this place. Lord, we invite the fresh and filling of the Holy Spirit into our hearts so that we can identify sinful behaviors and patterns in our lives and rather than the Science get them easily. Through the power of oh, God. Lord, we love you. We pray that